I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello, ahoy, and welcome to Always There, the Howard's Way podcast. I'm Julia Rayside. Thank you for joining me as I navigate through every single episode of the 1980s seafaring soap opera set in the fictional English coastal town of Tarrant. It would be a lonely voyage without you. And joining me this week to discuss series two, episode five, is the actor and comedian Paul Litchfield. Hello. Rapturous applause. Yes, thank- I'm applauding myself. Thank you for coming up my gangplank. Oh, Very nice to see you. Thank you. Now, I don't know how old you are, Paul. I'm going to guess that you're 28, 29. That's right, 45. <laughs> okay, yes. cool. So you do remember Howard's Way, am I correct? I really remember Howard's Way. It was quite the show that all of my family watched. But did you watch it? Yeah, I you think did. so. But I think I might have tailed off okay towards the end you didn't um, stick with it i did a little bit of looking at the archives of radio times because i wanted to see exactly when this was broadcast yeah okay so it was broadcast it was aired at 7 45 on sunday the 28th of september oh this is great 1986 okay do you know what program it followed you're gonna uh, like this uh antiques roadshow ever decreasing circles <gasps> You are joking. Not at all. And, oh. the, pro- and the programme after? Only uh, Fours and Horses. Oh, my God. Yeah. So quite a lot of prime time comedy Absolutely. on a Sunday But night. if you weren't watching BBC One at the time, you were watching BBC Two okay. at that time, then you would have been watching Birds for All Seasons oh. with uh, Magnus Magnuson, last in a series of three. <laughs> and then that would have been followed by The White Tribe of Africa, a documentary uh, wow. by David Dimbleby, last in a series of five. <laughs> Thank you for this context. It's absolutely enlightening. You're I welcome. I wanted to go the whole so hog and give you ITV Channel Four, but have you not they, done that? No, because they don't. Oh. They are. They have entire <laughs> missing months in the archives. Oh, seriously? Yeah, so from ITV incomplete. and Channel Four. So the kind of thing archaeologists will go searching for in times to yeah, come. So look what we found. We found an old episode of the Tube <laughs> carved into a cave. Yes. <laughs> So, yeah, we, our family really watched this quite yeah. religiously because I grew up in Plymouth and Devon. Yes. And my dad used to charter boats. Ah. That was his first job. But like motorised boats or? No, 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 fishing vessels. Oh. So we used to go out just beyond Plymouth Sound and that's when it gets really choppy and quite You went scary. quite Plymouth as you said Plymouth yeah, Sound. Yeah, I, I went back into the accent. I've got, I know this is no good for the podcast because people can't see it, but there's a picture 
oh, of my father. I'm going to put that on the Twitter one. account, yeah. at Always There Pod. Go and have a so look at the picture. He used to go out and charter boats for mainly for tourists or, or chaps who just wanted to go out and do some serious sea fishing. He looks amazingly yeah, he looks great. fishy. And this bloke <laughs> next to him, briefly I'll tell you, this bloke, I never met him, but his name is beautiful alone. His name was Frank Widgiewodgy. <laughs> no, it wasn't, Paul. It was, it was Frank <laughs> that's, Widgiewodgy. That's a made-up name. <laughs> his name was Frank Widgiewodgy. He was from South Africa. And I know you can't see it in the picture, yeah. but he has a paper mache leg. A pet. And he went to sea with a soluble limb. <laughs> oh, my God. So, sorry, his name, and his name again? Frank Widgiewodgy. Frank Widgiewodgy. Originally his, from South Africa. And his paper leg. And he had a big reinforced paper mache leg with wow. leather straps that he made himself when That's... he lost his leg as a youth. Oh, my God. And he had a few spares because my... <laughs> because once my dad was fishing, I think, just off the coast of a place called Paul Baffick. Yeah. Which is in Cornwall, just across the it Tamar. It sounds like it should be, yeah. And they were in waders and they'd gone out on the sandy beach at midnight with a little tilly lamp so the fish would be attracted to the light. Yeah. And they saw Frank Widgiewodgy out about <laughs> 20 foot into the sea. Oh no. And what he didn't know is that the seawater was slowly going into his waders oh. and very slowly his leg dissolved and very really slowly did. he fell gently to the left into the water <laughs> and they were all sat on the beach and they just watched this man oh, very slowly splash. Majestically in the, into the yeah. sunset. And oh. I think maybe after that he might have bought a proper leg from the well, I just admire the NHS. MacGyverness of that like he just cobbled his own leg out of all bits of newspaper and uh, <laughs> and, and wallpaper paste and Absolutely one of the fantastic. guys that my dad used to take out fishing a lot was Edward Woodward what the real one? The real Edward Woodward. He was a massive keen <gasps> fisherman, Seriously? and had a little place uh, to live um, in Saltash, which is just across the that river. That is Cornwall. Isn't so my it? Yeah, dad yeah. used to take him out. But Plymouth is right next to Cornwall, so you just cross the Tamar of Bridge. Of course you do. And yeah, you're yeah. there. Well, there's that little ferry, isn't there? Yeah, the little. Uh, yeah, I've got yeah. that. So, there. so, so fishing in general and the sea and everything is very good for this podcast and me for Howard's Way because we watched it all. Dad was a super keen fisherman. It's funny. There's a lot of people our sort of age who it was kind of a show that brought them together with the generation above and they were often yeah. boaty reasons like my dad probably wouldn't have watched say a soap set on the south coast but he definitely did want to watch something with sailing in there you so go so we all thus we came together and watched absolutely, it absolutely yeah Perfect. i mean my mum is completely opposite she absolutely loathed anything to do with the, oh. the, the water and didn't even learn to swim herself so anyway, on to, we have to get onto this episode because yes. it's an exciting one there's a lot going on there is there Loads. I don't know. All oh, right, there is. Loads right. going on. And you must have been delighted to see that it opened with a shot of the Barracuda out on open water. Beautiful. The sun glinting on the sea. Wonderful. Lynn, although you don't see her, I think you just see a figure silhouetted from behind, but it's sailing off to New Horizons, yeah. which turned out to be she's heading for America, the crazy fool. <laughs> um, also, can we just go back to just the opening theme? Oh, yeah, go on. Do you know what the font is? Oh, no, I don't. I, I was trying Do desperate. You? No, that's, I wanted to I desperately. I they invented a new one. But is it called the Howard or the Way? It will, it will be now. Or something like that. Yeah. I was, or, I was desperately trying to find what the font was. Mm. And also the theme, the opening theme tune is one minute, 12 seconds. That's a long old theme <laughs> yes, tune. Yes, it is, isn't it? Because they put everyone's names. Big meaty theme tune. Before the credits, normally you maybe get a few of the most prominent actors. Yeah. But pretty much the whole, they are an ensemble really, but pretty much all of them get their names uh, Yeah, they before. all get a nice mention, don't they? Yeah, which I think is rather lovely. Yeah. And also... Like so, so we don't show. quite know what the font is. That's a shame. Also, I like the fact but that it's, if it, listeners it's do aquamarine know what the font is. with a little yellow go faster stripe mm, through it. It's yeah. beautiful. It is nice, isn't it? It's very 80s. It's very good of Club Med. 
you know, it's it got, says... The, the letters are quite bouncy and round. They're almost like the goodies, but not quite as yeah. round and fun. Do you fun. remember? It's also quite similar to another one that was soundtracked by Simon May, Holiday, the holiday programme. Oh, really? I think it had a similar bluey, yellowy logo in my head. I can't... So obviously he had a penchant for that. Well, clearly, like he attached himself to shows that were to do with the sea. I wonder where he lived. Oh, that big blue and yellow bungalow on the hill. <laughs> by the sea. By Naturally. the sea. In Naturally. the sea. <laughs> so if anyone does know the font, please. Mm. Then we cut from the tranquil scenes of the Barracuda, sailing through quite calm waters... And then we switch to the Coast Guard's office, which is where uh, a frantic Tom is on the radio talking to Lynn. Finally, he's got yeah. radio contact with his, Barracuda. His first line is, Lynn, what the hell do you think you're doing? Mm-hmm. Over. Over. That's right, over. <laughs> you have to say something really dramatic and furious and then finish it with over, slightly taking the power at the end of the line. He tries half-heartedly to persuade her to come back, but he knows that she's her father's daughter. She loves the sea. She loves boats more than people. And, and, she's I, and I think not doing he trusts it. her. He, totally. he, she knows what she's doing. Yeah. Lynn, Lynn's boat mad. She's, boat, boat mad she's and boat, then some. She's boat dotty. <laughs> I reckon her first boyfriend was a canoe. <laughs> she does say she likes boats more than people really early on. And, oh dear. And in reference to romantic attachment, she's like, I don't know if we could be arsed with boys. They're not boats, are they? <laughs> anyway, then we cut to, oh, this is so 80s, a kind of dimly lit warehouse with like the sun, you know, gushing through the minimal windows. And it has side. 13 Doric columns. Did you count them? Yeah, I did, yeah. Flipping it. I get really into the, the silly, silly bits of detail. <laughs> also because they are Doric columns, even though they're internal structure and load bearing. Does that work Doric. architecturally? Yeah, well, I okay, don't know. It's, it's just fancy. So in the warehouse, uh, Jeanne and Claude are ah. examining the prospect. Now, I originally um, was going to guess the accent with Claude. I think it's a brilliant French accent. It starts off a bit woolen for me, but then you already uh, know who the character is. I don't. I'm yeah, just going into yeah. this episode. But then he does pepper it with some z-this and z-that. <laughs> and I went, oh, OK, he's definitely he's French. French. Definitely Scottish French Scottish actor. Now. French oh, actor. really? I know. I'm, I'm still and very impressed. Shall we discuss him. the ponytail? I think we have to. It's got to be a strap-on, hasn't it? No one grows that just a in case they get a part as a French fashion designer. That's amazing. Do you think they, they literally did that in a panic? Like, no, you're not French enough, you're not French enough. Yeah. Con- Connie, what have we got in the props department? String of onions. Yeah. String no, of, no, that's bit not on good. the nose. We, we got this horse tail, bang it on the back of his head. There you go, Claude, you're in character now. But it's so thin as well. It was it's the men horrible. in the 80s who had, you know, the sort of fairly short tidy up front and then you know the mullety thing going up the back but drawing it into a ponytail it's just like you know only acceptable for pirates nobody and else. it's 1986 so it's absolutely mm. f- i know but it's 1986 i'm surprised there's not a small shell suit wrapped around it so you know <laughs> jan says claude it has to be here <laughs> because she can see the light is perfect for the fashion designing yes, they're going to yes. be doing in there what what i love is that at one point jan clarifies her plan which is to maybe finally get some good people and perhaps talk to her own bank. Yes. As opposed to what? Talking to other banks well, no, no, and no, working but they, with bad people. See, no, well, no, quite. See, that she's been in this uncomfortable position with Ken, her on-off lover. Right. Who is sort of threatening to finance her new fashion venture, but he keeps on humming and hawing. Since oh. Claude arrived on the scene, he's not Claude's biggest fan because Claude's a sexy Frenchman and he feels threatened by him. So he's withholding his cash. And right. Jan is quite rightly thinking she should probably just go and find the money herself. Um, I've just put here that Jan is determined in Cerise... She um, and she has enormous hair. Your description of the outfit's better because I just had a vision in plum. Ah, so, but well, it wasn't you know, plum. You're absolutely right. It was it a hotter cerise. pink than plum. It's more of a. Yeah. I'm ready for anything. Okay. Well, now I now I'm slightly worried about the rest of your fashion descriptions. It doesn't sound like you were quite. Oh, that's on true. The, yeah, yeah. I've just completely 
ruined everything. Well, <laughs> just, you know, I, just, yeah. I need you to notice these things. You're the, you're the detail man. Anyway, <laughs> they talk briefly about the finance debacle yeah. with Ken. And then Claude says, voila, this is it. Our future begins here. <laughs> but he does say it better than that because he's an actor and his accents are much better than mine are. And they're sort of standing backlit in one of those lovely windows in the warehouse. Yeah, just nice looking shot. like lovely shot. the future of British slash French fashion. Then we cut to a very swish office, stroke gentleman's library, I wrote. Yes. And now, I don't know who this chap is, but to me, he looks like a sort of low-rent Simon McCorkindale from Manimal. From Manimal. <laughs> what animal is Charles Freer going to turn into if, now well, if he has to turn into one? Some sort of snake, I'd imagine, would Definitely he? a snake. And he begins the scene by blurting out, I'm going to buy Rolton Marine, <laughs> which is interesting because Gerald is clearly a bit taken aback by this. Um, he obviously wants to buy it because his ex-girlfriend, Avril, has just taken a seat on the board. She's recently just turned down a job with him in his business and he wants to screw over her and her family and the mermaid boatyard, which Rolton Marine now part own. You, so, you are Wikipedia. I know, thank you. So he's going to buy Rolton Marine because he basically wants to, I think, have more control over Avril's destiny. Even though right. he screwed her over and he married someone else and broke her heart, he just can't quite let go of the strings and, that keep right. pulling her back to him. It's part business, but it's so, also so part what, personal. So it's Gerald and what's low rent Charles, Simon McCorkindale Charles Freyer. And Gerald is going to be his proxy. He never goes in and does the deal himself. He sends Gerald. He's, <laughs> he's, he's reasonably moral, but he? he just, he does work for Charles Freyer. So occasionally and, he has to get his hands dirty. And, oh, yes. Uh, ab- absolutely. But of course he'll probably wear gloves. <laughs> he will. Silken, yeah. silken there's, gloves. There's a lovely mid shot during this conversation oh, yeah. uh, where there's a decanter which looks like it's full of jam. <laughs> just to let you know. Because... It just looks. Cause I, was, I was looking at it, going, "That can't be wine, or that can't be brandy, because it's it, it's got a slight undulation in it." So someone in props went, "Well, obviously we're not going to put an entire bottle of port or uh, brandy in there. Get some jam from the craft table." I, now you said that Fill I have a theory. Jam. So Charles is currently in the midst of divorce proceedings from a woman in America whose name is <sighs> Honey Gardner. Now, a Honey Gardner is a bee. Right. As you well know, Paul. So I'm imagining when she used to come over, he had a decanter of jam. This is, this, in this case is turning she into three, hungry. two, one. Now you're going to give. I'm afraid you've won the bin, Paul. Sorry, sorry. Never think about it. If your wife no, is a bee, she'd need jam at short notice. <laughs> you know, if it was the winter and she's getting a bit tired. And if jam turns up in a floral print, there will be hell to pay. <laughs> Anyway, he says he's going to spend three million pounds buying Relton Marine just to be going on with. Yeah. And uh, and, and then <laughs> Gerald and he are literally talking about, well, if you just put that in my bank account, then I'll go and buy the company. <laughs> it's like, OK, if that's how things are done. I thought it was more complicated than that. <laughs> but it's all a bit of a scam. And then, and yeah. then you know, someone's going to pay someone back and the money's going to move around and it, it'll never be traced back to Charles, basically. Absolutely. And they end, they end that entire conversation with that beautiful moment where uh, Gerald does some real acting because he's going, oh, yeah, we're scheming at the moment, aren't we? But I'm a little bit reticent. So... Yeah. What he does is he just sucks the side of his glasses. That's it. Mm. To show his moral core is still somewhere in there. That's Mm. it. See, I told you, he's essentially a moral person. And then suddenly we cut to stunts. I know, like proper stunts. stunts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please describe to the ladies and gentlemen what happens. Well, Jan is in her car. So she's listening to Radio Solent, which is a real radio station. And of course, the top story on Radio Solent News is that a local man has designed a boat which is now on its way to America. It's piloted by his daughter, Lynn Howard, and she... 
jams on the anchors goes oh my god Lynn and then you do like an I don't know did they do an aerial shot was it a crane I don't know how they did that suddenly you're looking down on the two carriageways of this road and she just handbrakes it like you turn they even did it on a nearby building or some cameraman was told to climb up a lamppost and get that shot I I like to think it's that one I like to think he's just dangling precariously it'll look amazing it's really good people will remember it for 30 years to come (laughs) so big skid and then she's heading back in the opposite direction because clearly she needs to tear strips off her husband who hasn't told her right. that their daughter is uh, heading for the Atlantic Ocean, which is very dangerous yes, if you're in a little it's boat on your known own. known for being wet and dangerous. And ouge as well. And ouge. Really, really big. And then we go back to the boatyard where Avril is on the phone and she's delighted that Lynn has stolen her dad's boat and is talking to someone about how it's going to be 10 times better publicity yeah. because um, someone young and gorgeous has gone off and done this in a maverick move. <laughs> and, and the phone's ringing off the hook and she... <laughs> She delivers, I think, slightly unconvincingly. And I don't like to say ill of any of the actors in this show because I love them all. Right. Uh, but she does that thing where what you should do is script a whole line and then the actors cut off in the middle of saying it. But she just says, if that's another reporter, aisle," <laughs> And then stops. It's like, come on, just pretend you had something else to finish that sentence with. There's a really um, nice bit of jam where she almost does like constant alliteration where she's talking about her divorce from Tom. And then she says, Lynn and Leo. And I just wanted her to, like, continue, get stuck in a rut. Lynn and Leo and Lego and, you know, lentils and lemons and leotards and Lent and, oh, oh, slap. But that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. It's such a shame. I wanted that to happen. But if any actor could pull that off with a plum, it's Jan Harvey. Um, so Jan comes running in. Tom is there as well. She's yeah. absolutely incandescent, as you might well imagine. And Tom is being a bit too laid back. And he's obviously trying to tell her it's going to be fine. But she's just trying to say, no, no, my baby's my baby. I'm really worried about my child. Exactly. And then he says something insanely profound, which has made me stop and just look at the TV for ages. He says, love isn't fear. Honestly, I was just like, oh, my God, it isn't. He's right. (laughs) It's incredible. So love isn't figs. (laughs) And love isn't. Trees. Fun fairs oh, and fruit and flies Tom. and oh, he's fiddly dig. He's I caught he was... it from Jan. <laughs> no, no. I forgot to look at who wrote this episode because it's different people. But Harold was... Pinter. I thought it might have been, yeah. It was just really kind of incredible, I thought was a great yeah, it's moment. Yeah, it's a nice one to just drop in the middle. And you yeah, and clang. she, she wow. poo-poos him being philosophical. But, you know, if I had been Jan, I'd have said, wow going to rethink my entire approach to parenting but there's still waters that run through uh tom isn't there for sure he's, he's a wise oak cove so well he, he is he, he can makes be a bit, mistakes but a bit thick skinned sometimes yeah doesn't think about jan's feelings very often but then obviously so she's broken at the idea of her, her daughter being in danger again but she's also slightly broken at the thought of the man she thought tom was just really not being on her wavelength at all anymore she hadn't quite gone through with the divorce because she thought, well, she says that it was the kids. She still loves him a little bit. Yeah. And then she says to him in a heartbreaking moment, what on earth did I think was left? Which I just thought was really sad. It's like, <laughs> mummy, daddy, no. <laughs> Don't break up. But, you know, it just means divorce is now imminent. There's yeah. no more fiddle-faddling around. In fact, he says later, doesn't he? I'm probably about to be served with divorce papers. So Probably. That's all happening. Yeah. Lynn's at sea. Their marriage is at sea, Paul. I mean, everyone's at sea. <laughs> and dark right. horizons. <laughs> <laughs> and then exactly. we cut suddenly. I know, I know. This what we is do. amazing. Go on. To the home office gym. Oh, I don't even know what that room is. I it's amazing. I, again, it must be next to the gentleman's library stroke office. I think he It's just such came, an 80s thing. I think he's like me. I think he works from home, but his home is like a vast estate <laughs> with a gym and a pool and grounds. And I and... love it. He's in white toweling 
and he's talking to Ken, <laughs> and there's a picture of orange juice and a pineapple on he the side. He always has white tracksuit to exercise in. He always Brilliant. has orange juice immediately post-workout. Okay. And, and actually, a, it turns out this is mid-workout. There's an entire pineapple there as well. Yes, they just haven't in touched case. it. They haven't tampered with it. <laughs> I imagine he just grabs it and squeezes the juice directly. <laughs> and it dribbles down his chin yeah. and onto his white tracksuit. It's fantastic. Um, because I'm slightly stupid, I counted all his um, all his reps. So when he was you exercising, did? yeah. It's quite so, a thing to do. It looked like proper exercise. No, I, I think he's genuinely doing it. Because you have to look like you're expending yeah. effort, otherwise it's a pointless thing, isn't And he's it? using eight weights, so is I don't he? know exactly what the uh, combination is. And he does two sets of exercises during his conflab with Ken. And the first time he's uh, lifting and he does um, he does 11 lifts. 11. And then when he goes and lays on his back and then does the up and downy ones, yeah. he does nine. So this guy hates the number 10. He doesn't like that one. No, no, exactly. He, won't, he will not hit hates 10. Hates 10. Will never hit 10. Maybe it's a superstitious thing. One more, one less. I also noticed that, you know, I mean, I, I've limited experience of gyms. But when you lift weights, you're not supposed to put them all the way back down again, are you? Between reps, you're supposed to keep them in midair. I've never set foot so in a re- gym in my life. <laughs> But every time he pulls them down, they can kind of goes clunk, clang. So I, I just think his technique was a little off, and maybe he should have worked on that. But yeah, you know, it's Charles Freer. Anyway, so that's what I did. I just counted how many uh, bits of individual exercise he did. <laughs> really involved in the drama, really Paul. Were you <laughs> great? <laughs> so he's in his white toweling suit. He's doing his track suit. suit. He's doing his exercise. It's basically again whenever he's in a scene with Ken, Charles just likes to let him know that he's busy, hasn't really got time for him, and he's always going to be lower status. So there's a little bit of no, I'm not stopping my I workout s- for you. I'm busy. I've yeah. got stuff to do. There's with a little that, bit of waving it? their willies around, isn't it? Oh, it's like, oh, I'm much bigger than you, mate. Uh, but he's worried again. He's he's been worried about this before. They're investing in this project, a marina project, which is going to basically bulldoze a nature reserve. And they're twitchy, or rather, Ken is twitchy about environmental protesters who yeah, we meet later. We do. Charles is playing it very cool and doesn't seem to be that bothered by them. And he calls them a bunch of muesli eaters. Muesli but frankly, eaters. looking as he does and drinking so much orange juice, I, I would have thought that would be what Charles eats for breakfast too. I'd imagine. Didn't all men in the 80s play squash and eat muesli? That's what my dad did. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I'd imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe even had muesli at Tiffin. But cl- I don't know. <laughs> Clearly, muesli in those days was shorthand for bloody hippies. Bloody hippie. He enjoys it when Ken's floundering because right. the more Ken is paddling desperately, the smoother Charles's progress is. He just likes to psych him out. And then they kind of discuss bribing people in the local council so that their planning application goes through. And then they almost kiss. And then no, no, hang on. Sorry, that, that, that was that was the other thing I was watching that was after. The, that Sorry. was the thing that you were watching in your yeah. head. And they, they never both, allude to it again. They both go to touch the pineapple at the same time and then just look at each other. <laughs> they both touch Cut. pineapple. <laughs> so Ken and Charles are snogging whilst both gripping a pineapple. <laughs> whilst fingering, no. <laughs> anyway, let's cut to Lynn. Uh, yes, so let's cut to Lynn. We leave them discussing bribery and we cut to the sea. And there's the always there theme the being theme sung at her. Marty Webb is singing. Is Marty Webb? I like to think it was a lovely mermaid <laughs> singing to her if they'd done that maybe yeah just for the video perhaps when it was released as a single just had her sitting on a rock in full gear with the tail brilliant. flapping about would have been lovely wouldn't it lynn is doing her i'm confident i'm free yeah i wear tampons <laughs> i'm wearing them i wear tampons <laughs> she looks like a really positive tampon advert tampons she? would be a good thing to take with you actually when you go out to sea um no um very well, to mop up the excess moisture when you're sinking if, if you want to mop up the entire sea no 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 if your if your engine gets a bit flooded etc you can pop tampons in to absorb the water honestly <laughs> is this like a sailor's trick oh nautical trick there bring some tampons with you don't worry about the applicators you don't need them what was 
that man's name again that went sailing with your dad? Frank Widgiewodgy. <laughs> Do you think he kept some in his back pocket just in I case? I reckon he filled up his hollow leg with tampons <laughs> so he had natural buoyancy. If he had done, he wouldn't have melted in the sea, would he? Silly man. <laughs> I'm not picturing a man lost at sea with a tampon leg. It's just insane. <laughs> I mean, you already had a paper mache leg and we're fine with that. Oh, I knew it would get weird, but not this weird. <laughs> anyway, so Lynn is confident. She's sailing. Yeah, she's doing it's, really well. It's sunny. There's a, they also like to do aerial shots, which must have been helicopter. The aerial shots of the Barracuda just yeah. cutting through the waves. It's so idyllic. It's so lovely. Just and establishing then, that everything's fine and it's lovely and it's fine. And then somehow I just wrote, it immediately cuts to crossroads. <laughs> For some reason. <laughs> this is a scene with Jack and Kate. Now, Jack is in hospital recovering from being exploded right. by that man. Because I didn't, because I've seen, I haven't seen the episodes before. Well, I have years ago, but I can't, I couldn't remember. And oh. I was just going, where, is he in some sort of old convalescent home? Yeah. There's a, a nurse and she's in Lemon. Lemon, the lemon. lemon nurses outfits were actually rather lovely, I thought. The lemon nurses. It's when nurses still wore those little cake boxes on their heads. Yeah. They just looked lovely. But I just went, look at her in lemon. And she's <laughs> leading a man in a robe, probably to kill him or something. <laughs> this way, Mr. Johnson. Yes. Your health insurance has run out now. Kate, his friend, has come to visit him. Right. And she's brought him. I thought it was a cream tea, but I looked again and thought, no, is that tomato baps? It's definitely a bun with something in the middle that was red, and I thought it was a cream tea. Good. And right. she's just telling Jack that she's put £800 at 25 right. to 1 on, um, on the, the racehorse she owns a quarter of. Just a leg. Yes. <laughs> she owns just a leg. Now, here's the thing, because I don't understand anything to do with gambling references at all, because I've never, yeah. I've only ever gone into a betting shop twice <laughs> in my life. Once was because my partner said, go and put £10 on um, who killed L- Lucy Beale for oh, EastEnders. Oh, brilliant. TV bets are always TV good. bets. And, yeah. the, and we did another one mm. as well that I can, and I've even forgot. That's Were you only, right only, about um, who killed Lucy Beale? No, no, completely wrong. Oh, no, no. I put, em, I put Emmerdale Farm did it, and apparently not. <laughs> you so, blonker. You fool. Once I won £400. Get away. I did, on who was going to win Big Brother, because it was the year that a woman called Rachel Rice, who was just nice and fairly ineffectual and quite boring, and she won. won. And I said really early on, I think a nice person's going to win it this year. I think... And everyone went, come I on. think it's just going to go a different way. I've got a feeling. 400 quid. That's I think I put amazing. tenner down. 400 quid. So, so yeah, so when she nice talks about the away. odds and this and that, oh yeah, yeah where did you go? At uh, Suffolk. <laughs> because I'm middle class, I don't like to leave the country. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, when she, when, when she talks about odds and this and that, it goes right over my head. Yeah. I've had it explained to me as well and I go, oh. huh? Well, so if I mean, put 50p on, do you get 70 As I keep back? saying I this understand. series, this show is not about horses, it's about bloody boats. About and I wish they stopped boats. going on about yeah. the flaming horses. And if you perhaps pulled your bloody finger at BBC <laughs> and got a couple of horses on a boat, then perhaps we... <laughs> Interest would be peaked sufficiently to watch the entire series, but no, not even a Shetland pony on a raft. Yes, it's very disappointing. I mean, you could get a Shire horse on the Barracuda, no problem. You could, but I mean, it would do untold like damage it. to the horse decking. wouldn't like it. Horse would not like it. I can't speak. <laughs> anyway, Kate is £18,000 in the hole. Right. She's in big, big trouble. Big trouble. Um, but it's okay because as long as the horse races and wins, Everything's fine. Everything's fine. And if it doesn't, she's got a backup plan. She might sell a bit of a jewellery mm. or she might sell a painting. A that painting. Alec and gave I, I like the idea that when if someone <laughs> ever said, what is the jewellery in the painting? She'll say something like, oh, it, well, the jewellery is something called the Pink Panther. I don't know what that is. <laughs> and, and, and the picture? Oh, yes, that's the Mona Lisa. I could just imagine that she's actually festooned in cash <laughs> I secretly. Think so. like I there's think gold so. behind, the wa- behind the walls yeah. that she, you know, home. I like that there's home? not that much at stake. Home. Obviously, she loves her little cottage and she would have to sell it if she really got in trouble. Yeah, so she says, I, I, I mean, I, I don't really want to move into a flat. But she wouldn't have to because she's been Because living. of me racism. I don't... <laughs> because of the neighbours that I might... Yeah. 
meet. <laughs> there is no way that Dulcie Gray would play a no, racist. She wouldn't, she wouldn't. She's perfect. She's tough for you to play a gambling <laughs> addicted. But you know, she, everyone's got to have their vice, and this is hers. That's so true. anyway, it's setting up something for later on where yeah. effectively there's a lot riding on her not uh, riding, not losing this. Thank you. Yeah. Horse race. Oh, I thought I could only do sailing puns. I can do you horse can do puns more. As well. Ooh, lovely. Then we cut to snooker. I zoned out during this entire yeah. section, except for as because they we do follow the game as well. They genuinely a little have a, bit have a little game. Yeah. But the last closing shot. I think it's Ken, and there's a chalkboard behind him, and all that's written on it is Jun. <laughs> what? J U N. Jun. Really? What could that mean, June? Maybe they were just about to write June. June. The month of June. Oh, how distracting. I wonder if it's a pub that has to write down the month on the chalkboards that people know. Because <laughs> they're all too drunk. What to month write? is this? Well, apparently it's Jun. It just says Jun. <laughs> and then I get, again, I get fixated on stuff, and then that's no, all that's I could distract- concentrate on. Yeah, no, it's really distracting. Why is Jun written oh, behind them? I don't blame you. Anyway, yeah. Ken is there. I think it's a snooker table to denote that he is with low company. Yes. Do you yes, know what I mean? Yes. So I think it's the guy, I never quite was clear on who the guy is, but he appears to be possibly a local councillor or someone of that ilk. I thought ilk. he was a journalist. I thought he was a journalist, but then I thought. He appeared in the meeting later on and seemed to be more right. oh, official. Yeah, yeah, maybe. But anyway, I'm, and he's I'm, bribing I'm not him, isn't he, or something? Sure. He gives he's, him a golden pen briefly. Well, no. See, this is interesting. So he's basically suggesting. Uh, no one says bribery, but there was a lot of it about. I remember my next door neighbour going to prison for bribery when I lived in Billericay. I know. I was like, what's that? Well, he's gone to prison for what? And then, uh, you know, had explained to me. Ken is essentially <gasps> trying to use nefarious means to swing the planning permission for his development. Right. So he puts on the table at the end of this scene a checkbook and pen, which made me think of Blankety, blankety Blank. Blank. And my, <gasps> my girl guide leader, when I was in the guides, won a Blankety Blank checkbook and pen and I've touched it. Oh, my God. Can I touch you? <laughs> You've touched it. Oh, I'm obsessed with Blankety Blank. Me too. Especially the Les Dawson era. Is, is Les Dawson your preferred era then? Oh, my God. Oh, see, I'm a Wogan I'm girl. Obsessed. But... Well, I love Wogan as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was very upset when he went. Um, more so Extremely. than... Extremely. Like, you know, David Bowie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, it was Wogan's one of the worst. It was Wogan and Victoria Wood. That's yeah, what I found no, offensive about. And I'm about. exactly oh. with you. They, it completely, and I'm so, so obsessed angry. with Blankety Blank. I wanted to find out if there was an official theme tune to the music they use when the celebrities are thinking. Oh, They've yes. They've got 30 seconds and the music it goes dum 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 I remember it yeah and I'm obsessed with it and I've been but you're literally I mean Google going blankety blank thinking music that's what it's called right the bit where and oh I want to know what it is I wouldn't be surprised if it was Simon May as a little side project uncredited it's got a little whiff of Jeff Love about it maybe I don't know what it is but it's beautiful do you know one of our TV nerd friends or perhaps even a listen to this podcast will know I hope so at always there we can get the Howard May font and the title of the thinking music. I'd die happy, like genuinely, wouldn't you? There's a bit, Les Dawson does an amazing, an amazing bit where he talks about, he found a lesion on his face and he talks about it in great detail. Oh my God. But he says there's a tiny cottage on it and there's <laughs> and there's some rolling hills and some sheep and a lovely stream. He says, should I be worried? And the doctor says, don't worry, it's only a beauty spot. <laughs> So beautiful. Come on. It's stunning. It is It's a lovely bit stunning. of work and the timing. Oh, uh, just perfection. Anyway. <sighs> the oh, old days. I yeah, miss them, don't you? I do too. I, th- I think I must do. Or otherwise, why am I doing a podcast? But they do about repeat a lot of way. the blankety blanks on that. Or is it Quest or one of those channels? No, it's, not, it, it's one that is just just plays game shows. I can't oh, remember what it's called. But, but they really play savage. a lot of. Three, two, one, as well, which is amazing. Which now it feels like a drug, a drug thing. <laughs> like I'm on drugs. It's, it's like a fever dream, isn't it? And they <laughs> yes. go, "Thanks, Gary Wilmot." So, um, <laughs> let's try and work out what this means. And it's like trying to find the Ark of the Covenant. It's yeah, it's, 
it is it is so labyrinthine and weird yeah. and surreal. Because they say things like, so we mentioned the sky, didn't we? And sky, of course, rhymes with I. <laughs> and of course, you'd never put an eye in a bin, would you? No, 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 I wouldn't. Why do you want a bin? Full of eyes, full of eyes, get out. I just, it's stunning, isn't it? It really is. I recommend, uh, yeah, tracking it down on the EPG because yeah. it's, uh, it's not like you remember it. I'll say that no. much. Hang on, anyway, we, should, we should get back to Howard's Way. What Howard's is way. like you remember it? But sure. even better than you remember it is how it's way. Yeah. Yes, there's a bit of bribery going on. A checkbook and pen is placed on the oh. bays of the snooker table, oh. indicating that shonky business is about to take place. Yes. I can hear the blanky blank theme tune in my head and oh. we cut to Charles Frears, I don't know, what, another part of his business empire. Charles and Gerald, who seem to be sat next to Nazi regalia. <laughs> Because they both have this golden eagle next to them. Oh, yes. And I thought, first of all, they were both Could be. betwixt the same eagles, like <laughs> slightly too close. But no, they have their own individual Nazi regalia golden eagle. Do you think they were real eagles? Just that he has golden eagles. Real eagles? Yeah, yeah. What, cast in bronze? <laughs> Screaming. Yeah, that's the kind of shit he'd do. He's about to pave paradise to put up a do? hotel and marina. Put up a he'd parking just, lot. Yeah, he'd just go, hey, that guy, I like that eagle, like dip it in gold and bring it over here. <laughs> and someone would. That's what it's like being Charles Freer. He's that rich. <laughs> anyway, Charles brings up Abby's involvement in the protest against the marina. Now, Gerald is purportedly Abby's father. He's not. He's not her father. Because he's gay. He's never fathered anything oh, in his really? life. He doesn't like doing it with ladies' bits. Um, so it's a mystery who Abby's father is. Oh. I'm winking at you. Um, is it Jim Davidson? I can't, I can't disclose oh, okay. that at this All stage. Right. But yes. It's Jim um, Davidson. <laughs> a lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So Charles is concerned that one of his top Charles, associates is Charles children. Charles not concerned me. Well, he's just trying to pull, he's trying to yank Gerald's strings a bit here, right. I think. And just make sure he knows that, you know, nobody must disrupt their plans, certainly not yeah. a member of his own family. The last line in this scene is absolutely Go stunning. Go on. If you get any feedback about my divorce, report back to me at my chateau. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> wow. Now, Why yeah. I have to go all the way to a chateau to let you know? Yes. I can just call you. No, I no, I can no, fax no. you. There's a big fax machine next to your Nazi no. regalia. So often Gerald turns up at wherever Charles is doing his millionaire's pursuits just to kind of say something and then go again. It's like, dude, he's one of the first people in the world to have a mobile phone. You could just call him. Oh, he's okay. probably going to be able to. I like the idea the that he keeps crap. making him go to these ridiculous places. <laughs> if you find my cuffling, bring it back to me. I'll be on an alp. <laughs> So, oh, I have to do all that. It's just so time-consuming. I think it's just like trials to test his loyalty. He yeah. does it in quite a lot. Uh, yeah, Charles is off to France again. He likes to do that just to make himself more difficult to find, I think. And then we cut to some pins on a sailing chart, which we zoom That's out right. to see that the pins are being put in by Tom. He's tracking Lynn's progress across the Atlantic. That's right. And Tom and Avril are discussing how she's going. And Tom is having second thoughts about whether he should have let her go. Yeah. But clearly he's not really because he's just worried that he's upset Jan. And, you know, he doesn't like to upset people. He's a nice guy. And I wrote down that they're sort of having a low-risk alcoholic affair because they just keep pouring booze but not touching it. Yes, oh no, no one, yeah, those two don't drink it it's very a often. Bit, a bit like Dallas, where they always used to have entire meals placed in front of them and drinks, and they just didn't never, touch it. Ever, apart from Cliff Barnes, yeah. he always downed his whiskey. I, exa- exactly, and Sue Ellen sometimes, she had, you know, yeah. it was well, she a had glass to, clanking. With... Character led because she yeah. was an alky one. She really needed to. But yeah, no, I've talked to other actors about this, and uh, there's a lot of resentment for actors who just don't eat in scenes. Yeah, come on. It's like, come yeah. on, nut up. Okay, you might be a bit full. So I know don't it's eat the take 21, but eat that stale croissant. Yeah, make it look real. Yeah, absolutely. So they find Jack's secret secret hiding place for his bottle of whiskey top drawer of the filing cabinet that's not secret that's where everyone in the 70s and 80s kept their bottle of whiskey absolutely top drawer of the filing cabinet also he keeps a pub in his desk drawer (laughs) and he also hides a brewery behind his hat he simply does he likes a bit of the old booze don't he never without a drink yeah um Hmm. and they are going through newspaper clippings which are brilliant clippings which are talking about Lynn's uh, amazing voyage. So um, how long has she been gone for at this point? Well, later What's in the, the episode, because they play with the timeline a bit in Howard's way, later on, when we start getting Lynn's um, amazing Ellen MacArthur tearful updates yeah. with voiceover, she does say, nearly three weeks into this voyage. That's right. So, but I don't think we're there yet, but by the end of this episode, it's three it weeks. it looks to me so far on, on the timeline, it's maybe... Two days ago, that she, she left set yesterday, off? yesterday, and now she's yeah, no, it's kind and of suddenly the newspapers are on it. Yeah, so no, why would they I think immediately care? Because they're fast forwarding. Because obviously they did this for publicity, as everyone keeps saying. Right, and I think we've jumped forward a bit without really oh, okay. being aware of it. They fudge the timing it's in Howard's fine, way to fine. make the timelines make sense. Yeah. But, but the, the the headline I was most delighted by, and I would like on business cards, <laughs> is a picture of Lynn, obviously looking beautiful because she is yeah. next to the headline "Storm Tossed Beauty." <laughs> I don't think I just want everyone to describe me as from now on. Oh, um, I saw um, Julie yesterday. What, the Storm Toss Beauty? The Storm Toss Beauty. It's perfect. I love it. Wow. I, just, I just think it's what a brilliant way to get described. That is um, stunning. <laughs> it, if that had to be a shop front, what would it be selling? If you were walking down your high street and you saw something called Storm Toss Beauty. Storm Toss, well, it would be um, it would be marine uh, makeup. Be marine, oh, okay. And actually, oh, I think they nice. come up with that later in the series. So Genuinely, makeup I think that isn't eroded by salt. I think Lynn and am I imagining this? I feel I like I, have, I might have dreamt it, but it might be real. Oh, I see. I she think, sets up a. I think cosmetic... Lynn and Jan design a range of makeup that can be worn on the deck of a yacht and not <gasps> get blown off oh, by the sea and not get attacked by narwhals. I know, right? That's amazing. amazing. <laughs> yeah, maybe it has anti-fish a- properties. Anti, anti, stop them leaping up and kissing. Anti-orca. <laughs> Lip balm. I wish I could remember what they called it now. It'll come to me. Avril is surprised that Tom is finally getting a divorce and they discuss whether or not it should change their relationship because they're just playing it casual. I'm not sure how you do play it casual, though, if you're seeing each other every single day. Working together and... And apparently it became clear, uh, I think, last episode, he's just been living in a room above the pub. 
Oh, really? Since his split with Jan. So it's all a bit weird. He's just been living in the sea. Yes, and despite <laughs> despite not wanting anything serious, they kiss passionately. They do. And then and they just decide to sort of see how things go. And he's really glad that she has made him believe in himself again. Yes. And that alone, whatever happens, is enough, which suggests that they're going to split up. <laughs> it's like you're, you're prefiguring this pretty heavily, but OK, cool. I also noticed that Avril's bow matches her top. It's sort of like a nice teal colour. It's nice, isn't it? I like that. It's very nice. Yeah. Then we go to the Urquhart's house, which is very ah, dark. Which I've got. Here we are. We're in Ghastly Grange. <laughs> it is Ghastly Grange. Ghastly Grange. Everything is ghastly. I'm the ghoul of Ghastly Grange. <laughs> I think I had childhood trauma now mm. with what's she called? Ab- Abby. Oh no, Abby. Abby. I don't know why she's. What does she, she represent scared. to you? I don't know. She <laughs> she just frightened me a bit when I was young. Yeah. Um. I was so I was. Thirteen when this was out. Yeah. So actually, I should have manned up a bit. You were a bit age. hormonal, perhaps. Possibly. No, but Girls it wasn't. Confused nobody, you. <laughs> yeah, possibly. And also, it was because she always weirdly reminded me of Serverland from Blake Seven. Oh, okay. Or like she like could the, have been her daughter. The or hard, dark fringe. Yeah, maybe. and the sort of piercing eyes. Yeah. And, I, and there was something slightly sort of I don't know. I just I was well, she didn't bit... smile for the whole of series one. Right. So you might okay. have thought she was a bit of a. You I, know, I was very afraid trouble. of her. Yeah. Okay. And she's in Ghastly Grange. <laughs> perfect place where she'd be she I'd imagine that she doesn't go, grains, go yeah. to bed she just gets on a perch <laughs> and she's in a belfry or something <laughs> and, and, and one eye's always open <laughs> This uh, makes and moonlight sh- comes out of it. I don't know, it's weird. <laughs> it makes a nice show. Normally Leo gets all the stick in this podcast. Oh, really? But it's Abby's turn today. Sorry, Abby. And, and, um, and Abby sat on the stairs having a chat. And, and is, is it a mum that gets is like incandescent that they're sat on steps? Yes, no, she's, she's absolutely disgusted. She's trying to have a heart-to-heart with the man who fathered her baby. Right. And she's sort of reluctantly deciding whether or not to marry him, even though she's he's not really that fussed. He's a wet nothing, isn't he? He's a, he's a wet nothing. Her mum is suddenly interested in her having a relationship with him because he's from extremely wealthy family oh, in America oh, right. and you know I think she'd quite like a bit of that in oh, her life we need another turret on Ghastly Grange <laughs> so you better marry him too sweet <laughs> I see. It's, I like it's like how that, is it? Polly becomes northern, like the very the, the idea that Polly's anything other than. I can do whatever I like in my own home. Thank you very much. <laughs> Whilst in Ghastly Grange, I speak like this. When I answer the door, it's oh hello, how do you do? Welcome to Ghastly Grange. Come in. Oh, I've walked in too quick. I'm going to yeah. call it. I think in that we're, we're casting the remake as we go along this. Podcast. Oh, it's Ghastly Grange. I think you're Polly. Oh. <laughs> I don't think anybody else has done it that well. <laughs> and I'd like her to be both Northern and posh, yeah. depending on who she's with. That would be excellent. <laughs> uh, Polly always interrupts them because finding it very hard to get any space to even discuss what they're going to do with the, yeah. with the baby and with the, the baby. Weather, the wedding and all that. So um, she interrupts them, insists they come and have coffee. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah, insists on Which it. she's elaborately laid out with like a silver coffee pot on a tray because she's mental. Yeah. And, and then what they... is she wearing, Mum? Because <laughs> I've got, she looks like one of the Time Lords from Gallifrey. <laughs> Like she's got unnecessary robes. <laughs> she always has like shoulder pads and billowing fabric. But she almost because she's it, such a slim actor she, and right. she's just always swamped in fabric. She looks like a peacock in mid furl. Yeah, she she, she <laughs> does like to be noticed. And then she marches into the living room with her tray of ostentatious coffee and says, "Put that paper away. We're going to have coffee." Like poor man. I can do both. Gerald cannot have any peace in his no, own. No, he home. can't. That's why he's hardly ever there. Well, no, he's normally halfway up an alp or inside Mount <laughs> Etna, isn't he? Retrieving a post-it yeah. note for. And then, uh, Simon McCorkendale. <laughs> There's a tense family argument about whether or not they should go to the theatre at the Chichester Festival. <laughs> Do they say what's on? Or, uh, they don't even care. It's like in the old days, you used to go to the theatre to be seen. I'm wonder, guessing it's that. Oh, I, I would love the idea that it's like those male strippers. What, what were they called? The, um, <laughs> the Chippendales. Chippendales. <laughs> we're going to see this thing called the Chippendales. Come on, Gerald. <laughs> I think it's something about furniture. <laughs> the thing is, Gerald would fucking love that. <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. Gerald likes man flesh. <gasps> 
So Gerald puts his paper away, does as he's told. And there's a really tense family argument about whether or not they should go to the theatre. And Gerald actually says to Abby at one point, try to avoid provoking your mother while she's standing right there. So it's a family that doesn't even really pretend to get on, although no. probably would like them to pretend if anyone's looking. Um, and she's clearly very self-conscious of the fact that Orin's there. She always wants to impress him because oh, he's I money. See. Yeah, so basically Abby and Leo, um, who I don't think he's been in this episode yet, has he? They're trying to protest against the environmental damage due to be done by Charles and Gerald and Ken's latest plan. And obviously, uh, you know, Polly's horrified by this. She just doesn't want her daughter to get noticed for the wrong things. And, you know, it's all about sort of appearances really with her. And then back to Ralph Marine. Avril is in the boardroom in a striped blazer. Beautiful striped blazer. Uh, it's always very natally dressed. And she's urging the board to use Tom's amazing talents for good. So yeah. like, don't don't make him design your boring boats. And then she mentions, this is the first time that's mentioned the catamaran project, more of which we'll see later. And anyway, they ask for an update on the Barracuda. And apparently it's about halfway. <laughs> She's so, doing all right. We haven't heard much. How did she get halfway across the Atlantic in five minutes? But anyway, like I said, timelines, a bit fudged. And then we cut to sea. Now, we, we know do. the sea is rougher now because Lynn is no longer in her windswept ponytail. She's in a beanie hat. She is, yeah. Fucking that's serious. serious. Yeah, yeah it really yeah. is. The sea is very rough. The hull is at full 45 degree till. It looks a bit terrifying. And this is where the Ellen MacArthur voiceover kicks in and it's just so brilliant. I loved it. Nearly three weeks into the crossing now. I suppose it's no surprise. I'm talking to myself. (laughs) Go and get a basketball out and draw a face on it. This is amazing. Wilson! I've always hated the land. (laughs) I'm going to live in the sea forever. Oh, God, she's lost it. I think finally she's probably getting a bit fed up with the sea now because as this episode goes on, she gets a bit sort of like, I just want to be dry. (laughs) Just really bored of being damp. Want to and be dry or drunk. <laughs> or both, Why didn't she bring booze with her? But of course, I refused to set foot on land. <laughs> How can you distill your own booze at sea? Like, what could you use? Seaweed? In fact, seaweed. I drink a very nice gin that's distilled from kelp, sugar kelp. Oh, there you go. You're halfway there. I love Harris Gin. I highly recommend it. Ooh. Can you sponsor me, please? Um, <laughs> anyway, and then she says, in a kind of prefiguring, I can't believe this weather will hold. <laughs> It doesn't. It's ridiculous. Anyway, then we cut back to her at night. So they're kind of trying to... For, for once, they're actually doing the passing of time on Howard's yeah. They don't often bother. And then she's going back to her diary entry again and saying, I need this solitude and challenge to find myself. Yeah. So, you know, that's Can't what write anymore. I've got a wet nib. <laughs> I'll just dictate to the sea. Sea hears all. <laughs> she should have used a pencil. They work in wet conditions. Graphite pencil, perfect. Exactly. Then we cut back to a meeting that appears to be taking place yes. um, in some kind of uh, municipal location. Yeah. Abby and Leo are both there, including sundry other activist types, you know, someone in yeah. dungarees, that sort of thing. Eating conkers and <laughs> combing hummus through their hair. And someone says it's going to be a long night, at which point, mercifully, we cut away again. Yeah. You don't really need to see Turns out it's not. <laughs> comings and goings. And then over at the Howard's house, Jan's having a quiet night in with Kate. Yeah. And he suggests opening another bottle of, I think it's fizzy wine. They drink a lot of that, those two. Oh, I see. And then at one point I've put here, he nibbles on her foot. He bites her little toe. It's ridiculous. This is sort of foot fetish moment going on. Because this is the first time I'd saw them together. And then I remembered, oh, "Oh, yeah, yeah, they definitely had an affair. My first reaction was, is this post or pre-coital? What's going on here? And then I went, oh, my word, he's going straight for her feet. (laughs) Well, I think think for once he's being a bit sensitive. She is very worried about her daughter. She is. He has kind of got that message now. And so he's being comforting and kind.
kind of a little bit playful, but I don't think he'd kind of try it on knowing that she was so preoccupied. Yeah. So yeah, he's very sort of comforting towards her. So how, how long has this been going on between them? Well, Is this I a mean, relatively new thing. No, no, no. I mean, he's always had a bit of a you know held a torch for her. Right. And then in series one, very quickly into the series, first series actually, it becomes obvious that Jan and Tom are going to divorce, or they're certainly going to split because right. they're just not getting on. They don't want the same things. And while their marriage is falling apart, Tom's eye is taken by Avril, and then Jan um, fancies a bit of Ken. So they've got they're they're a bit on and off. No okay. one has uh, no one has staked claim to anyone yet, but everyone's moving to a new chair around the table. Let's put it I mean, that this way. This is 1986. All this casual sex going on it's <laughs> disgraceful. The AIDS epidemic is rearing its ugly head. They should I use know. protection. I know. I hope they did. <laughs> Filthy. <laughs> I'm sure everyone was very careful, Paul. I don't want you to worry about them. It's all right. Anyway, we're getting off the point. Yes. So Ken suggests opening another bottle. Jan says she's got to, you know, sort of keep a clear head. I've got to keep worrying. Exactly. She can't worry as much if she's pissed. Although they do tend to get pissed while they're worrying, usually. Yeah. They've had a bottle already. And he just mentions something about her lawyer because he's very keen for her to get divorced. He just wants to get in there, get married. And then we cut away from them and back to the meeting. (laughs) Oh, my God. Where someone says... Well, the figures on effluence are hopelessly vague. <laughs> wow, that is amazing. But that's all I've written down for that scene. I'd be really glad <laughs> any information about effluence is hopelessly vague. I don't want too much detail. <laughs> the, just just rumours, nothing. actual... F- Pure detail. No That's facts, just thank Where you. does that line come from? It's I just, amazing. I don't know. I think it was the writer having a bit of fun. Brilliant. And then we cut to the stables where, yeah. shock horror, Aztec boy has done his tendon. Yeah, he's done his tendon in. Um, which is awful. And the unaccountably posh man who runs the stables <laughs> says to Kate, after she says, how long will he be out? He says, a yard. <laughs> a yard. <laughs> which I think it, I think means a year or, or um, in English. A yard. What? But, uh, be dead in a yard. Or he's just being a pirate. I don't know. But either way, her face tells you everything. She's sunk. She's That's probably punted. what she's no, saying. No. Yeah, because all her hopes she's and dreams sunk. are on this, and now she's going to have to sell. So annoyed with the storyline. And- Dulcie Gray should have her own storylines because she's brilliant in this. But it doesn't really blend in with the rest of the stories. It just, just it feels tacked on. Right. And if a- she had a spin-off, what would it be? Would she be investigating crimes? Whilst, Obviously. Whilst gambling. I mean, she's the ultimate marple. Gambling. Isn't she? Well, she's so- marple almost- by the sea. She becomes Lovejoy. Well, she, well, that's true. She could be a Lovejoy. But she's so kind of wily and smart, apart from when it comes to gambling, clearly. It doesn't, it just doesn't quite fit. Well, maybe. Mm, I don't know. Ch- chatting up a local earl. <laughs> Can you imagine? Imagine that. I mean, yes. Actually, so her husband in real life is called Michael Dennison. Right. And he does appear later in proceedings as her new love interest. Yeah. She's very, very sweet. So the two of them oh, okay. get to be get to be lovebirds on screen. So terrible times ahead for Kate. Yeah. She's just lost all of her money. Plus the eight hundred pounds she put on the horse. Pined. And then we cut to a Range Rover driving over a field. In France. In France. In France, because it has some harpsichord music. So are playing. we inferring that Gerald has gotten into his Range Rover, got the ferry, and driven the all the way to the chateau? He's gone to the chateau. I can't no believe No sign of his he... boss. <laughs> ah, he said, didn't he, he didn't even have the Channel Tunnel then? <laughs> chateau. Oh, no, I have to go find him. No, so, so I thought he meant report to me in the chateau, like, just give me a ring. Phones work in well, he's France. Turned Phones work. Oh, he's taken it literally. Anyway, and he's probably at the chateau going, Excuse me, English, <laughs> looking for my. Oh, forget it. I'll do it myself. <laughs> 
And then he's gone off to find his boss. So it turns out it's Gerald in the Range Rover. He's dressed in like his country attire, of tweed cap and things, so he fits yeah. in with Charles's guest. And the, as you mentioned, there's the, the sort of harpsichord, synth harpsichord music yeah. to denote either Gallicness or country pursuits or nobility or yeah, something. Le shooting party. Charles is wearing a cravat and a suede jacket. He looks hella good. He just does. And meanwhile, Greg, now Greg was introduced in a previous episode. He was deployed to America to Honey Trap Honey Gardener. The right. now about to be former Mrs. Freer right. into committing adultery so he could take loads of photographs of them doing it and then basically use that in legal proceedings to get the divorce hurried up because she's dragging her feet and Charles just wants this shit done. Holy so Greg, who you might not have known who he was, he appears no. and he has in his... He's just there at the shooting party having a lovely time and then takes out this giant dossier of photographs right. from his uh, inside pocket. And we don't see the pictures, but we know they probably contain racy evidence of Honey Gardener up to no good with Greg himself, who presumably is trying to do selfies when cameras didn't even do that in the old days. Charles is happy that this is going to speed up divorce proceedings. Honey Gardener was a lady of colour. And he mentions because the divorce is happening in, is it Idaho or somewhere? Tennessee. Tennessee, that's it. Tennessee. It's happening in Tennessee. I got married in Tennessee, you know, but for three days. Did you really? Yeah. You're Charles Freer. <laughs> I got you mar- got married. In- Tell everything about this well, story at I, once. It's really, really like, this is years ago. I met wow. an American when I was at drama school and she lived in Chicago and I went and lived with her for a tiny bit and went down to Memphis, Tennessee because I wanted to see Elvis <gasps> Presley related stuff. And we got married because you get married back then. I think it was about $90. We just Re- did it. I think we were drunk. Oh. Shall, shall we get married and wow. then bring our family and then that'd be funny um, and then <laughs> oh, we, no. then but the great thing is in the state of Tennessee you could have it annulled for another hundred dollars three, three days later <laughs> oh so we were technically God. married for about two and a half days so you didn't need to call Greg it was all no, fine Greg, okay cool still quite an expensive drunk in the fun. state though yeah, it was good, good fun to be it married it was good fun to be married for two and a half days <laughs> I didn't think people did that outside of sitcoms and stuff. Well yeah, done. That's fantastic. We mentioned that Honey Gardner is a woman of colour and he says that in Tennessee, where Paul also got married, yeah. they have quaint ideas about race. They certainly did back then. So the idea <clears throat> that she's a woman of colour who's also committed adultery, he thinks that will go badly for her because right. they're massive racists in oh Tennessee in the 80s, apparently. Anyway, back at the boatyard, yeah. Bill is showing Jack evidence that proves... So Jack's boat blew up. <laughs> I don't know if you know this. That's why he was in hospital. And somehow, I guess the forensic <laughs> investigations weren't so on point okay. back then. The police didn't really work out what... There was, oh, the engine blew so, up. It's some, a sailing some boat. Some sort of fire did it. Exactly. Thanks, police. But Bill has now part of the bomb, I think, or the lid yeah, off the I, bomb I wrote, box. Yeah, because I didn't quite know what, again, I couldn't really what all this was it. about. So I've just a, got written down, this is cut to Jack's antique roadshow stroke Columbo subplot. <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. Well, he doesn't know who tried to blow him up, but he's right. got a pretty good idea. So this shady character Shellett it's his former brother-in-law Shellett is I mean he's yeah. a, see the first thing I heard story. was Richard Salad and then I laughed so much for about 10 Salad. minutes I had to stop watching it and go off and make a coffee because I was laughing at the idea of someone called R- Richard Salad because also it was said with contempt oh yeah they don't like this yeah, salad, so I salad just, all I heard was Richard Salad and I just went oh no that's it I'm done because that sort of thing can get me going for oh, months no, I and know. weeks and then I couldn't concentrate I got dizzy and I had to have a coffee and what's in it for Dick Salad that's Dick one of his lives what's in it for Dick Shellett <laughs> Um, I'm glad you didn't get that episode Jesus we never get to the end then we cut away from Jack he basically is saying that he thinks that Shellett's still in the country Salad he's not from Salad isn't from this country he's been domiciled in New Guinea for some time yeah I tell you what they don't have name drop 
places around the world in I this, know. don't they? They go to them very often, but they do talk about them. But Jack is definitely showing an interest in tracking this chap down. Yes. So they've been through a court case with him. He tried to basically win the boatyard off them in a court battle. Okay. He lost his court battle and subsequently all his money and now he's broke and living in this not very nice boarding house. And so Jack oh. is aware of his movements and wants to try and track him down because he wants to. He basically knows this is the guy that tried to kill him. And right. he wants to give him what for? Back on the sea, in the boat on the sea, sunset now, and Lynn is below decks, and she's yearning for a hot bath, dry clothes, and one of mum's casseroles. Yeah, now, pining for casserole. What I we have. know about Jan Howard is that she's a career woman. She doesn't make casseroles. She used to make pasta bake quite a lot in the early days of so Howard's she probably way. got them shipped in from M&S, removed the label, put it in her own crockery, <laughs> and went, look what I have done for Almost you. Taken, taken yonks. I'm saying it's more likely to have been one of Kate's casseroles. That's her grandmother, oh, because okay. she came to take over cooking duties after Jan became a career woman, didn't right. have time for cooking anymore. Anyway, Lynn is busy learning about herself. Yeah. And then we see some more sailing because it's lovely. I just love watching the sailing. Yeah. I wish there was more it's sailing. Beautiful. This episode had a fair bit in, actually. It's a lot of sailing. Which was lovely. But obviously, it gets quite scary towards the end. And then back at the yard, Tommy's on the phone hearing with growing concern that the weather is getting very bad in to Atlantic. Yeah. And Lynn is heading right for it. And we must mention what he's wearing. This Go sort on. of dardist Tetris jumper. It's mesmerising. <laughs> I was staring at these bands of blocks. Yeah, it's like you could play space chess It was like a magic eye picture. It was, yeah. I was sort of looking at it too much. Yeah, it's so. one of those things you'd imagine would strobe on camera. It was so yeah. nutty, but it didn't. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah, so Jack, to take his mind off, it's just buying Tom a drink yeah. for a change. Let's have a drink. Because, you know, and obviously they have a filing cabinet full of beer and, yeah. and whiskey and gin and everything. I, I but they go to the pub. I so hope that Jack's every line starts with, let's have a drink, <laughs> and then la 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 exposition, let's have a drink. <laughs> For all six series. Yeah, That's all no. I wanted to say. Let's have a drink. Also, did you notice the product placement in this scene between no. Tom and Jack? There's a product placement for Nescafe. Oh, is there? Yeah, There's always... There were some paracetamols next to it. I don't branded know were... or just no, generic? No, non-branded. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah. Then we cut to the Jolly Sailor, where weirdly Jack and Tom aren't, even though they've just said, I'm going to buy you a drink. And they always drink at the Jolly Sailor. Right. But who's at the Jolly Sailor? It's Ken and Glud. And Ken is puffing up his chest feathers. He is, yeah. He's asking Claude, essentially, when are you going and, and please don't come back. And they're both drinking their manly drinks of uh, a whiskey for Claude, Claude and a, I think a gin and tonic for Ken. He thinks that's sophisticated. Yes. It's like his power drink. But they're both drinking out of Paris goblets again, which they often, I, th- I remember Wonderful. in the pubs in the 80s, if you wanted any kind of spirit, it's like, that's a ladies drink, you're having a ladies glass. Yeah. Thank you very much. Ken offers to buy Claude another one, but then basically says, I will pay you never to come back. He's sexually threatened by the guy. He just needs to come out <laughs> Like, he looks at that ponytail and just thinks one thing, you know, that that's what Jan wants. to use it as a rein. And then looks at his own head and goes, well, I can't compete, you know. Can't do that. But actually, Claude does not have designs on Jan. They have a very warm relationship, but it is business only. Yeah. Just not to... uh, excite me sexually. Um, <laughs> much more of a, uh, how do you say it, uh, Molly Sugden? <laughs> uh, that is my uh, Mrs. Slocum. <laughs> I like it. Like the blue rinse. I like the big lady with the big the bosoms. <laughs> Um, or then we find out who his type is sooner than you think. Paul. Oh, we do. Yeah. It's Lenny um, Kravitz. What? <laughs> Why is he in the episode? But only when he wears that massive scarf. <laughs> Claude, he maintains dignity, but he's clearly incensed by Ken's yeah. meddling and his, and his assertion that he needs to go away. And he just basically plants his feet firmly on the soil of Tarrant and says, you know, I'm not going anywhere, mate. Then we go to Kate's house. Oh, that's right. Where Jack's having a cup of tea. Um, yeah. They discuss Lynn's but he's progress. He's not drinking a cup of tea, though, is he? No, of it's course probably not. laced with it's a, it's a cup with, or yeah, God knows what. or something. Yeah. And they mention that Lynn's doing really well and that her time at the moment is just behind that of Claire Francis. That's right. The famous lady sailor. 
who was definitely a figure I remember from my childhood. Oh, okay. And then Jack tells Kate that the weather might be getting a bit bad and that the sea is 50 foot deep in places or something in the troughs. 50 um, foot deep. <laughs> I think he means the waves are 50 feet big, yeah, but I just, yeah. he used clever sailing language. She's obviously concerned and then she tells him, I'm in trouble. Because clearly she wants to offload on someone about the fact that she's just, all of her money's just gone down the toilet. So back at Relta Marine, David Lloyd, who's always had a bit of a thing for Avril, he's getting very intense. And they, they appear to be talking about business and then he just suddenly comes out with... They talk about business in every scene. Even, I mean, they do. I, I'm surprised that Len doesn't just talk about a business while she's by herself as well. <laughs> this is the know. 80s, Paul. Everyone's in business. Yeah, everyone's Thatcher's Britain. Come but, on, but then, we've got to do it. But then old Lloyd, he just comes out with... Well, they're not even talking about Tom. Do you love him? Which is a bit of a yeah. bolt from the blue. Hang on. And I think Avril clenches inwardly and just yeah. says, no, no, don't fancy you, thank you very much. And she's very clear and fixes him with her gaze and makes sure he understands uh, no funny <laughs> business. Thank you. And that is that. And then we go to France. But oh, France that's right. underground, crucially. <laughs> we? In a wine cellar uh, where a lackey is. Again, this is Sarah Helling's favourite trope. The camera focuses on an unlabeled bottle of claret yes. in foreground and then the wine is sort of whisked away and then you see you're in a beautifully lit wine cellar where there are candles, even though it's quite brightly lit, but it's just a bit atmospheric. Just, just a bit of atmospheric. They're so French yeah. candles, aren't they? Oh, just they are. French. So French. Um, so Gerald is explaining the divorce settlement to Charles and then they taste wine like a couple of ponces I've put here. Yeah, they do. And Charles says something in French because he's just a wanker. He's trying to impress everyone. And then Gerald just goes, mm, awfully nice. Awfully nice. I would have preferred Horlicks, to be honest, but it'll do. Oh, this Horlicks is corked. And I'll take that bloody candle. <laughs> but it's a nice little scene and clearly they've just found a wine cellar somewhere. Yeah. Probably in the producer's house or something. Yeah, I don't exactly. know. Uh, it's charming. Then we go back to sea, do we? Oh, no, that's right. Yeah, we go back to the sea, but the sea is now very rough. Rough sea. It's not, the, sea, it's not the nice friendly sea of Finally, Lynn is in peril now. Real, real, real peril. peril. Like this, we're not mucking about Big, anymore. Big, fat, wet, spumy peril. <laughs> yeah. Even the mermaids are no longer singing. Lynn's- putting armband, black armbands on in preparation. It's getting rough. <laughs> Davy Jones is sharpening his knife. Yeah. She doesn't look so smug anymore. In fact, she's no. quite worried. She's below decks. She looks a bit green. She... And then back up on deck. I mean, I don't know how they film this bit. It's good, isn't it? But she's on deck. She's being thrown about by the sea. There's spray, spume, spume. everywhere. <laughs> she's wearing the beanie hat of seriousness. She is. It looks really distressingly horrible. No, it, and it she's looks really good. They, with really, like they a really cranked up the budget for this and bit, she's, didn't they? She's doing stuff with a rope that looks like she's Yeah, really she looks like she's know. doing it. She's cleaving ropes to things. and Which I'm sure you knew all the time terminology for and then uh, mercifully we cut away from that I mean clearly she's in real trouble now cut back to the dingy hotel where Shellett is currently boarding and hasn't paid his rent for some weeks and uh, Jack is looking for him one of the other boarding house residents clearly no one happy lives at this place it's the last chance saloon my favourite bit of this is um, the first shot of him first of all I thought oh he's going to be counting his 50p pieces but he's not he's just sort of moving them around no no he just tipped them out on a table just to scrape them across the top move some money around for a bit I like the sound it's calming he's like an old miser from Dickens isn't he the sound of coinage on uh, varnish is absolutely I mean coins has always got left they're calming to me but it does demonstrate that he is basically brassic now. And then one of the neighbours tells Jack, yeah, oh, what that old nutter, he's back at 9.30, like he'd know what time yeah. he came back. Um, over at the Howard's house, this is the funniest scene, I yeah. think, of the episode. A large amount of environmental protesters are having a meeting in Jan's <laughs> parlour. And Abby is there, Leo's chairing the meeting. <laughs> She's looking nervously as one of them, who's smoking indoors, if you please, um, roll up cigarettes, yes. has stubbed it out, I mean, quite nicely on the inside of his empty fag packet, but, but still. But it could leave a little mark on I mean, the could. occasional coffee table, couldn't it? They might have to do that Yellow Pages advert with 
they ring yeah. up the French polisher. You know, you oh, might you just save my life. Oh yeah, well that one, yes. <laughs> my name is this J R. No, hang on, doing the wrong, wrong one. one. But in all the ones we remember, they're all Yellow Pages adverts. So whoever their agency yeah. was, worth every penny. So it's all a bit. You know, they're trying to rally support for their protest. They're signing petitions. It's all a bit Leo. It's all a bit. Yeah. Well, let's sign a petition. You know, clearly things need to step up a bit if they want anything and to she's, change. She's just one step away from going. Sorry, coasters. If you sorry, <laughs> please no, 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 don't don't lean on the wisdom. No, no, no. Oh, gosh, no. I really want to be cool, but um, gosh. <laughs> right. Did someone use the toilet and not fine. flush? Because it's a little bit rude. <laughs> Ken and Jan arrive back yeah. in the midst of this, and while Leo is holding forth, Abby sort of looks a bit shifted and apologises, saying, "I'm yeah. sorry, we're having a meeting." But then obviously she clocks that Ken's there. They're actually meeting to protest about his development. So it's all yeah. dead orcs, and so he basically stays around, kind of intimidating them and tries yeah, to listen in. He just stands there, sort of like this weird supine grin. Exactly. And sort of. Jan goes to answer the door, yeah. and he. Just, I might yeah. as well do it. So it turns out brilliantly though that it's her own mother at the door. Kate, obviously, yeah. who's now in the hole for 18k, not in a K hole. Let's yeah. not get confused. I've just had ketamine. I'm joining in with anything. <laughs> she wants to be an environmental protester. Yeah. And she marches past Ken, who she's always hated, and says, I'm here for the meeting. Yeah. Up yours, Baldy. Oh. <laughs> Which I admired her for, and ch- I cheered a little bit when she arrived. <laughs> I think if her storyline now can be that she's going to be a silver protester, I like, I like the idea she's like sort of swampy and she's yes, sort of chaining herself to really, trees. Really high up a tree. <laughs> I love her so much. But with some home comforts. You know. Well, of course. She'd have like doilies yeah. over the branch. Or doilies and a couple of grandfather clocks, just in case. <laughs> and the billiard room would be nice. And that lovely All painting. Up a tree. Oh, I seem to live up a tree now. That's absolutely fine. <laughs> anyway, back at the yard, Tommy's on the phone. I think it's night time. Yeah. Oh, they're doing a lot of stu- So, Howard's way. There's one minute, 12 seconds of dead air. Nothing happens. There is, Silence. where they're waiting but for the phone. But it's quite good. Again, I thought, if this director, sometimes she gets a bit noir and she just goes with it. So, it's always her direction where they do sort of usually in a studio but like night shooting so mm. she makes things look like nighttime, and she does a lot of it towards the end of this episode it really it, she does pull it off because I'm like going it's still one minute nothing. I know and it does that wonderful thing of you're going alright come on something's going to happen yeah, now yeah, yeah, no yeah. no still nothing it's ages they just pace around and, and one minute twelve seconds the later, rain is hitting the, the window the phone rings and it's great it's a good bit of drama it's isn't really it? incredible you go, isn't oh, it? get it get it now but it's also really impressive because obviously they're in a studio and all of the interiors were shot in Pebble Mill near Birmingham. Oh, wow. And obviously all the location is South Coast. But call me crazy, I didn't even know you could do like rain on a window in a studio. In, yeah. I was so impressed. So it was but, nighttime. The rain lashed everyone's windows. It was like, to denote, don't forget, it's like pathetic fallacy. There's bad weather everywhere. Limbs at sea. It's raining. It's like the sky was crying, Paul. It was amazing. Um, anyway, <laughs> yes, there's, there's all these tense scenes where they're waiting to hear about the Barracuda. Tom it now is actually worried as well, which tells us we should be worried because he's been yeah. pretty cool up till now and now he's not at all. And then back at the hotel, this is where Shellett's huddled over in his grey blanket, like shoving his coins around a table. Yeah. And he goes to the payphone in the hall to call the hospital, which is rather stupid of him considering that he put Jack there in the first place and he calls to find out how Jack's doing at which point little does he know he says discharged and then someone cuts his call off cut to Jack's face menacing out of the darkness and he's always been quite scared of Jack so he'll do things like put a bomb in his boat and run away chuckling but when they're actually face to face he's really shitting himself more so now because he's tried to kill the guy this is very reminiscent now of the cowardly Timothy Spore character in the Harry Potter films oh yes Um, Peter Pettigrew Peter Pettigrew so Um, he confronts him he's there to menace Shellett we don't know know if his intentions are murderous yet but you know if you were Jack you'd probably be thinking about it Uh, meanwhile back at the yard obviously you get this incredible scene with 
one minute 12 of Thanks. Tom and Avril doing very little. And then the phone does ring. Yeah, it's good. And the news comes in. The boat's been spotted 200 miles south of Newfoundland, which is pretty yeah. good because that's kind of where she was headed. And then it does ring. And I think Tom actually says it's bad. Yeah. But he doesn't fully articulate what he's been told. And then back at the hotel, Shellet is still hunched over. Jack is looming above him. And then Jack him. attempts to post a letter in him. <laughs> he throws an I, envelope. I've decided you are now a post box. <laughs> he's momentarily confused. He did yeah. receive a head injury, so it's probably oh, understandable. Fine, and Salad says, why, why, haven't <laughs> Salad. You, why haven't you turned me in? Because <laughs> he can't understand why he's still basically alive. Yeah. If Jack's there ready to, you know, get his claws into him. And then when Jack turns his back, and obviously Jack does, he takes a calculated risk. Yeah, suddenly Shelley attempted pick, murder. Uh, well, he picks up an empty whiskey bottle and goes to lamp him goes on the lamp end of it. And then he can't do it. And it's, this is amazingly lit again. Sarah Hellings loves her noir. I, I would put money on the fact that she's a bit of a fan of noir movies. And there's like incredible noir shadows it's on good, the walls. It? It's, and so he backs out. He can't do it. Jack could have knew he couldn't. So he throws, he posts a letter in him. Posts a letter inside him. He throws an envelope him. containing an air ticket home to New Guinea. Basically, don't come back. And yeah, then get he to, to where? N- New, New, Guinea. New Guinea. Brilliant. Another one. Why I not? had stamps from there. Did you ever collect stamps when you were a no, kid? I didn't. I had no. Papua New Guinea stamps in my collection. Wow. Yeah, I bought a bit of stamp fair. I didn't go there or anything. <laughs> but I thought they were, you know, pretty exotic. And basically, he says, if you leave now, I won't involve the police. Just like, get out of my life. Don't come back. And there's 500 quid there as well, which is a bit overly generous of him, quite frankly. 500 quid? And then I guess Shellet reacts or Salad reacts in a kind of slightly less than happy way, yeah. which is a bit bloody cheap. He says he tried to murder the guy. And then Jack says, you can't expect a small fortune from someone you just tried to murder. Which is, you know, I mean, he's right. Absolutely right. He explains because he he feels he owes it to his poor dead wife, who is Salad's sister. And there's pity and contempt there. And he's like, you're not even worth it. Exactly. And actually, he just wants him to go away. He's reminding him of what a terrible husband he was. I just see you as some sort of beer mat. (laughs) I can rest my pints on. (laughs) So um, I think this is his last scene now. So Shellet is. is bowing out. Oh, is his last scene in the whole I, series I'm as well? pretty sure. Oh, okay. Dramatically, I don't think there's anything more for him to do. I don't think you even see him leaving. Well, I he just he goes just... to sleep immediately. I, yeah. I well, he just he's he's on the bed <laughs> sobbing quietly, as he often is. And then immediately um, goes to sleep. <laughs> yes, like a baby. I'm really sorry. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> in times of stress. It's, he just, like that. it's stress apnea. He just yeah. he falls straight to sleep. Back at the Howard's house, yeah. all the protesters have left. I imagine Jan's hustled them out with a feather duster, tutting at all the dust they've left yeah. behind. And Leo and Jan are sitting quite late at night, by the looks of it, doing the crossword. Doing the crossword. Which yeah. is normal. And I imagine they're both pensively waiting for news of Lynn. And then Jan is looking through the rainy window to see who's at the door. Again, studio, rain on the window. They mm. use that rain machine a lot. As soon as Jan sees that it's Tom, she lets Leo go and answer the door. But we see close up on her, just pensive. Jeez. She knows news is about to come. It's that awful feeling you get just before someone tells you something something you do not want to hear yeah and he comes in and he says barracuda signal has disappeared and the aircraft will begin searching at first light and jan says oh god in fact she doesn't say oh god it's amazing acting no, she... it sort of erupts out of her throat it's <gasps> like a, yeah she's it's more sort of air than voice <laughs> it's just incredible good, so she is a broken woman you know her daughter's gone missing once already oh has she hit her head fell in the water got amnesia and like you know she went missing for ages and now the minute she's out of hospital she's buggering off to America on a boat I mean the poor woman must be at her wits end anyway cue titles I, I was really expecting the theme tune but I didn't get it because I know. you told me that on this series they removed it for some they, 
stupid well, reading. Some head honcho. Well, here it would have really worked. The yeah. kind of it's a timpani roll straight into a high energy drama, drama, That would have been amazing. I was expecting it, and then but I didn't it's get always it. a slight dip in energy. You get it's beautifully sung, but it just doesn't do the ends of these episodes justice. The right. Marty Webb vocal just kind of. This is a little bit too Mimsy when something exciting has just happened. End of episode. Wow. Oof. Did you light a cigarette after that? I lit four. <laughs> but did Teen you? Did you? <laughs> thousand packets cigars. <laughs> but did you enjoy going back over? Uh, do you know what I really did? Ground. I really did because I. D- it's fun, isn't it? I definitely watched at least three or four of the series yeah i might have got a bit too cool for school with it but maybe maybe because you're a bit older yeah yeah so as i say i was 13 in 1986 so it ran until 1990 didn't it yeah it did so yeah maybe then i was like yeah not everyone stayed with it the whole way through but i do know that my mum and dad would have watched it religiously yeah yeah yeah, they would have absolutely loved it (laughs) are you you going to watch any more that's the key do you know what i kind of might i think you will i I can see that look in some guests they come along to go oh it was damn it's all good fun but no i shouldn't think so I think you're one of the ones that's going to carry on. I think I will. So it just remains for me to say that I'm so glad you could do this. Thank you. And I'm so glad as well. I believe that you're going to sing us out with your own version of the theme tune. (laughs) Yes, why not? You're going to give us your best Marty Webb. So Paul has written his own words of the theme tune. Um, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you liked it, please come and find us on at Always There Pod on Twitter. If you know what font the titles are in. Yeah. Oh, the music, the thinking music for Blankety Uh, Blank. Thinking music for Blankety Blank, please. Paul is very keen to know. This might just chuck it out to a wider audience. Anyway, a wider audience a Howard's Way podcast what am I talking about thank you so much for listening and Paul thank you for being always there you're welcome (laughs) Howard's Way he permits no other way we tried another way yesterday 19 people died And then Howard ran into the sea And screamed something obscene And then he told us, but in an accent To never do it again (laughs) GreatBigOwl.com Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.